and you stick it in a jar and you put a lid on that jar for a while and keep the grasshopper in there, once you take the lid off the jar, the grasshopper will not even try to get out. It, 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 it just stays there. It stays there in the jar. The, the lid is open, but the grasshopper thinks it's trapped like a lot of us. We think that we're trapped. Someone put a lid on your jar for a long time, and now you think in your own life, you think that you're trapped. You don't even check. You don't even check to see if the lid's there anymore. You stop dreaming. You stopped hoping. You stopped believing in miracles. You don't even look up to see if the lid's on any longer. You just stop believing in those things. You may still be a Christian, but you know, your, your hope is waning. You don't, you don't have those dreams of the future any longer. You know, there's, a, there's a, a book of the Bible that I really enjoy. It's the book of Numbers. And in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, it, it talks about the, the 12 leaders who were sent out by Moses to go and spy out the promised land. And they sent these 12 men out, and 10 of them came back, 10 of these leaders came back, and they, 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 they gave such a report of these, of these aggressive giant men that lived in the land. And they gave such a report that the people's hearts basically melted with fear. But there were two others out of that 12, two others, Caleb and Joshua, who saw it different. They, saw, they, they went to the same place, same situation, and they saw it a bit different. You see, what happens in life is that as we go into these situations... And as these men went into this situation, these 12 leaders that went into this situation, they faced a crisis. And the question I have this morning is, how did these men, how did these leaders handle, respond to this crisis? Like I said, 10 of them went in and they basically came back with a report that made the people's hearts melt with fear. But two others, Caleb and Joshua, they saw it different. And in verse 30, it says this, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. We can do this. We saw the same thing that they saw. We can do this. But the other ten, that they said this, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the peoples we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers, grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Put the lid on the top. Let's not go in there. Let's not bother. Let's stand back. We can't handle this. This morning for you, I want to open up your jar. I want to open up that jar that was placed on you and give you an opportunity to escape. I want to take that jar, open it up, and shake, turn it upside down and give you a chance here this morning to escape. I want you to be counted at the end of the day to be one of the two. I want you to be counted as one of the two and not one of the ten. And if you don't ask yourself the difficult questions this morning, if we don't step back and ask the question, am I going to be one of the two or one of the ten, you will be one of the ten if you don't ask the question. Life is too difficult. We will all face crisis in our lives. 
No one gets around it. If you live a certain amount of time, you will face crisis. The Greek word for crisis is krisis. K-R-I-S-I-S. And it means, it basically, it's interesting, it means a turning point for better or for worse in a critical disease. It's the turning point for better or for worse in a critical disease. When we face a crisis, like we find here in Numbers, there's a choice that we have to make. When we face a crisis like you have here in Numbers, it is a turning point in our lives. It's a turning point. It separates the wheat from the chaff. It's a turning point. You have to make a decision. You have to make a choice. Whether you're going to step out with courage and take a risk and possibly suffer, or you're going to crumble with fear under the weight of your circumstances. That's the choice that you have to make. Am I going to step out, take a risk, and fear suffering? Or am I going to crumble with fear under the weight of my circumstances? I've been waiting for two years to tell the story I'm about to tell. It never really fit into any of the sermons I was doing, and now I'm going to have a chance to tell it to you. We're talking about crisis. How are you going to stand up under crisis? When I was in Florida, we were in Florida at Debbie's grandfather's funeral a couple of years ago. We were coming out of a mall. It was the day before the funeral. We were coming out of this mall we'd never been to before. And as we're coming out of the mall, let me preface this by saying, when I'm in the car with my wife, Debbie, I don't think. She just tells me which way to go. Sometimes we'll be driving down uh, Butler Warren Road, and I'll say, should I turn here? And it's in our driveway. You know what I mean? I just, once she's in the car, my mind goes off, and I just follow direction. So we're, we're coming out of the mall, and, and I, I wasn't sure which way to go, and she was, she was talking to Jen in the back seat. And so I, I waited and let some other cars go in front of us. There was a, a, way, a right lane to exit and a left lane to exit wasn't sure to go right or to left. So I waited, and, and a car got in front of me, and she said, no, no, you can go right. So we let the car go in front of us, and then I pulled up in the right-hand lane. So there was a car uh, parked here, another car behind it, and I was, we were behind that car, and then a line of cars in the left-hand lane. So we're sitting there, and I, I noticed once we got into the lane that there was a police car sitting in the, front, the right lane in the very front. And I didn't, I didn't care, but then all of a sudden the, co- the police officers got out of their car and started fiddling around, and I'm thinking, you know you're thinking, Oh, man, I was stuck behind this. Now i got to go around them. What are they doing? So they're getting stuff out of the car. They open up their trunk, and they, little, they looked a little bit agitated as they were doing this. It, was, it wasn't just moseying along. They opened up their trunk. They started pulling things out. And so we started thinking, what, what, what's going on up here? And then as we sat there about uh, 10 or 15 seconds later, the van that was in the front on the left-hand side, all of a sudden, it just... It got hit by a car that was coming down the road, and I mean, it was a massive accident. And you're sitting there, it's like surreal, right in front of you. You see this van just plowed into, and the van gets knocked back, and it hits the car behind it, and that car hits the car behind that. And here you are, third in line, watching all these things happen. I mean, the van was pushed so far, it went up on the the sidewalk area. And so we're watching this, and we're thinking, I cannot believe we just saw this right in front of us, parked right here. The cops were over here. This is incredible. Well, it became more incredible because a few seconds later, before we could even get our wits about us thinking, wow, we just saw this incredible accident, the cops pulled out their revolvers and started shooting at the car next to it that crashed into the other car. Now, I'm telling you, (laughs) you want to talk about surreal, we're in a crisis here. We're in a crisis. What, what, What is going on in front of us? And all of a sudden, each one of us did something different. Jennifer grabbed Josh when he was in the the back seat, 
he was in his car seat. She, without anyone telling her anything, she grabbed Josh and she laid on top of him in the back seat. She just pin, she got him on down and she protected him in the back seat. Deb, Deb, who's a leader as well, she leaned out the window because the people in the front car started getting out of their car and try to hide. And she was explaining to people, you know, get down, get down. I started telling her, get in the car. They're shooting. Okay. She was trying to tell the people behind us, move, because we wanted to get out of there. But they didn't know what was going on. We were blocked in by cars lined up behind us. So we couldn't, we couldn't do anything. And she was trying to tell them to move. I said, just get in and get down. Now, you may think poorly of me after this next thing I'm going to say, but I got I to gotta tell the truth. I did not, my heart was not beating that fast. I was extremely calm, and it was everything just kind of slowed down. And two thoughts went through my mind. If anyone without a police officer's uniform comes walking down that road toward this car, they're in big trouble, okay? Because I was in a rented car, and it was big, and I, and I was thinking, now, now, I, well, I was, I was going to run them over, okay? Let's just be honest, Okay? <laughs> I was thinking, if they come near my family, okay, this Dodge whatever thing is going into the, And I thought to myself, well, God will heal them. They'll be fine. So whatever, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'll hit them and then I'll ask questions later. You know, hey, sorry, you know, under offer, undercover police officers. No. Um, so I, I, my thought was protect my family. So th- this car is going or this van is going that direction if someone comes this direction to protect my family. Once all the gunplay was in front of us and I realized no one is coming down this way, my second thought was my exit strategy. There were cars lined up behind us who wouldn't move because they really couldn't see what was going on in front of us. So to tell you the truth, it was a rented car again, and I'm thinking either they move or they're getting hit. So I backed out of this way, pulled out, and there's a line of cars. It was basically parting of the sea because I started backing up, and either you moved or you got hit. So I had them all moving out of the way. I backed all the way down the street, and there was an opening in the, in the, in the, in the grass right here, and we zipped out, and we figured out what was going to happen on the 6 o'clock news. We weren't going to stick around and find out what was going on up there. So we backed up, moved everybody out of the way, and zipped out of there. Crisis. It was a crisis. How do you handle a crisis? You know, for, for, for some people, there are those who face a crisis. When they face a crisis, they're able to handle that crisis as it, as it unfolds. And there are those also who, who crumble under the weight of what they're involved in. It just, I mean, not something that extreme, but they face a crisis. You've faced a crisis in your life and you've crumbled under the pressure of that crisis. I want to speak to both groups this morning. I want to talk about this and I want to speak to both groups this morning because failure at one point in your life does not a failed life make. Failure at dealing with a crisis in your life at one point in your life does not a failed life make. If anyone in that car, in our car, didn't react the right way, thank God we did, but if we didn't, um, I don't think that would be the end of our lives. I think failure at one point does not a failed life make, and we need to keep that in mind. Now, sometimes when we face a crisis, it's from purely external circumstances, okay? It comes just like our adventure in Florida here purely external circumstances or forces are at work. And there's nothing, you know, nothing that we did to bring it about. But one of the reasons why some people have a difficult time overcoming the challenge or crisis in their life is they don't take responsibility for their part in the crisis. They don't take personal responsibility for the crisis that is going on in their lives. 
They fail at the critical point of ownership and they miss the opportunity for growth and for change. Because there is always an opportunity. There's an opportunity. But instead of taking responsibility, they, 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 they blame someone else or they try to cover their tracks. They don't say, how, you know, is it, what, what part did I play in this? They just they want to blame someone else. They want to cover their tracks. And I'm going to say this again, and I'm going to say it over and over and over again until we're all old and gray together. And if you say to me, you need to stop saying that because you've said it so many times. As soon as we all, you and I, start living it, I'll stop saying it. But we need in our lives to see life from an eternal perspective. You want to be successful in life? If you want to be successful in life, if you want to overcome your brokenness and you want to be successful in life, living through the scars, living out your life with scars, then you are going to need to see life from an eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. When we see life from a temporal perspective, we worry about how we're going to look in the eyes of others. That's our focus. How am I going to look in the eyes of others? We let our pride control our decisions and everything is focused on the here and now when we see it from an earthly or a temporal perspective. Everything's focused on what are, what are, what are people saying? How's it going to look? And we think about the here and now. No thought is given to how our decisions are going to affect us long term. How is this going to affect me long term? We need to see life from an eternal perspective. And when we see life from an eternal perspective, we see our challenges, our problems, our difficulties, our failures, and our crisis through different lenses. We see them through God's eyes. We put on a different pair of glasses and see them through different lenses. We realize that in every crisis, listen, in every crisis that we face on this earth, there is opportunity. In every crisis, there is opportunity. And when you start thinking that way, you get an, that, that's an eternal perspective. When I start thinking about my crisis as an opportunity, I start to think with an eternal perspective. Did you know that the Chinese symbol for crisis is actually made up of two signs? One of the signs, the first sign means danger, and the second one means opportunity. So crisis in the Chinese has two different signs, two different symbols. One means danger, one means opportunity. That's amazing. I thought that is amazing. Because in life, when we face a crisis, the crisis has the potential to destroy our lives or to change our lives. To destroy or to change, the choice is up to you. Will you cower in fear like the ten? Or will you stand with courage like the two? That's the question we have to answer this morning. Are we going to cower back in fear when it happens? Or are we going to see danger? That's all we're going to see. We're going to see how it's going to negatively affect our lives. Or are we going to step up, stand up with courage and be like the two, be like Caleb and Joshua? We need to ask ourselves those difficult questions. You know, Joshua and Caleb, you know, what's amazing about them, if you read this story in Numbers, Caleb and Joshua, they never saw themselves as grasshoppers. You never read about how they thought, oh my goodness, we see ourselves as grasshoppers too, but we're going to muster up whatever we can and do what we can do to, to take on these giant people. That's not how they acted at all. They never saw themselves as grasshoppers. They never saw themselves as victims in this scenario. Never. That wasn't their attitude at all. David didn't face Goliath, did not face Goliath with a posture of fear. 
And Joseph, who we're going to talk more about next week, Joseph was amazing. Joseph faced each crisis in his life with a sense of purpose. He saw each twist and turn as an opportunity. Every time he, was, every time he went through a crisis, and he faced a lot of crises in a short period of time, but every time he'd see the twists and turns, he would see it as an opportunity. He had a sense of purpose through it all. And you say, well, you know what? That sounds great, Pastor. I love coming to church here because this is not how I faced crisis. When I faced a crisis, I failed. I failed. I faced it and I failed. Well, you know what I say to you in all the love? Join the club. Join the club. Join the club. There's a lot of people. I'm gonna, I'll give you an example. Imagine, if you will, if you were Peter. Okay? I recall, I recall a boating, water walking incident that didn't turn out too well. They went, you know, come on, call me out, Lord, if you're, it's you. He calls him out and in Matthew 14, 28. I, re, I, recall, I recall Peter did not only deny Christ once, not twice, but three times in John 18. I do recall in the Bible something about someone cutting someone's ear off in a situation or falling asleep at inopportune times. I mean, need I go on? I mean, we think sometimes like, oh, I failed in this situation and I can never recover. Well, if you can't recover, think about the people in the Bible. I mean, not everyone took on, not everyone was Caleb and Joshua. Every time something came on, they knew exactly, boy, they just charged the mountain every single time. Gideon, Gideon is called, oh, we're the, I'm, the weast, I'm the weakest in my clan and my clan's the smallest and all these, you know, I'm going to lay out all these fleeces and Lord do this and Lord do that and Lord do the other thing. I mean, th- this isn't a person of, dis- he wasn't very decisive. I feel like he had, it was called out to in, in, in a situation of a crisis. He seemed to kind of be pulling back a little bit, didn't face the crisis as, as good as he could have done. So you're in the I failed a crisis club. So I'm going to go back to what I said last week. Now what? I failed a crisis. You failed a crisis. Now what? Now what do you do? Now where do you go from here? Do you say, that's it? See, I, I, I proved myself. No, 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 no. One failed opportunity is not a failed life make. If that's the case, then we should, not even, we should just stop reading the Bible at the point where Peter denied Christ three times or Peter fell, went into the water or Peter you know, did this or that or the other thing. I mean, how many times did he fail in a crisis situation? But at the end, when you think about Peter, you think about a different person. You think of a person who stands up for God, who had courage beyond your wildest imagination because he worked through it in his life and realized that I can continue to grow in my relationship with Christ. I can continue to conform to the image of Christ. I can continue to become a better person. Look, look, here's the reality. The reality is for most mature Christians, humility and growth, humility and growth, comes from wounds suffered through foolish decisions and setbacks. That's reality. Most mature Christians, if you sit them down and talk to them, and people that you respect, the older people in your life that you respect, and you ask them, how did you become so mature in Christ? They're not going to tell you, they're going to tell you stories of difficulty. They're going to tell you stories of failure. They're going to tell you stories of challenge. They're going to tell you stories of crisis. That's what they're going to talk to you about. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I don't know many people who've grown in their faith by a simple act of the will or by sitting quietly at the feet of Jesus. Now, there are, I can mention it one or two in the Bible, but I don't know any right now. 
who have grown to maturity, who are way, they are the way they are spiritually because they just had a simple act of the will at one point, at one point in their lives, or they just quietly can sit at the feet of Jesus and learn everything they needed to learn about growing to become more like Jesus Christ. I just don't know anyone like that. What I do know are a lot of people who face crisis, who face difficulties, and who've overcome. See, our problem is when, we, when crisis hits, so many of us, us, us see ourselves as victims. We see ourselves as victims. We go by the definition, we see it as a turning point in our lives, yes, but for the worse, not for the better. We always see, we always see the turning point in the definition of, of crisis as a turning point for the worse. We think about it, oh my goodness, that, that's why we often fail, that's why we often crumble. You know, this, we think in our minds, why is this happening to me? A crisis hits. First thing we say, in the middle that's what we say, and probably a lot of times at the end that's what we say. Why is this happening to me? Why is this still happening to me? And why did that happen to me? And that's where it stops. That's where it ends. Lord God, how could you let this happen to me? Why am I going through this? Why am I facing such a difficulty? Not. Here's, we, we do not ask, is there something I'm doing that helped create this crisis? Is there something in my life that I am doing that is helping to create this crisis? What can I learn from my present circumstances? I'm going through this. What then can I learn through the present circumstances that I face right now in this crisis? What, what, what is it that I can learn from this? How can God help me through it? God, how can you help me through this? What are you going to do to show me your power in helping me through this? Or, or, or can God use it? God, can you use this to strengthen my faith journey? See, we need to see it as an opportunity. We need to take responsibility. We need to take responsibility. What am I doing within my life right now that may be helping to create this crisis? When we take responsibility, when we take responsibility, when we see it as an opportunity, we can address the failure and the crisis and the setback and the problem and the difficulty in a way that helps us to grow more like Jesus Christ and pleases God. When we do it that way, when we see it from that perspective, it allows us to grow and it pleases God. A crisis can expose, listen to this, this is so true. A crisis can expose, can expose flaws in our character and personality traits like nothing else in our lives. When you go through a crisis, it can expose, it can expose character flaws in your life and, pers- in, in, and in your personal life like nothing else. Think about it. Think about this. We don't, and I'm including myself, we don't seem to have a problem when someone else goes through a crisis or a difficulty. We don't seem to have a problem in pointing out how they got themselves there, right? Think, have, you, have you ever heard anyone say anything like when someone's going through this? I saw this coming. Yep. I, hey, I saw this coming. I warned them if they continued down this path that... You know, she, I'll tell you what, she brought this on herself because blah, 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 and this, that, and the other thing. I don't know how many times people have told her. So when someone else goes through a crisis, I find this pretty amazing for myself and for everybody else. I find it amazing when someone else is going through a crisis, man, oh man, you can point out exactly how they got there. 
because you saw them and their behavior and their characteristics and their character and their blah, blah, blah that led them into this. But the problem is we have a real big difficulty seeing ourselves. When, we, when we're challenged to look in the mirror ourselves, when we go through a crisis, how did this, why is this happening to me? I don't, I mean, I can't see anything in myself that would have brought this about. Why is this happening to me when it's someone else? Man, we got it all laid out. We can, boy, if that person would just sit down with us for a few minutes, they'd never go through a crisis again. And point it all out, right? We can point it all out. But when the mirror is turned on us, different story altogether. I remember Jesus saying something about this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. It applies to my life. It says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take, out the, spe- let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Anybody else feeling the same way I am? A little convicted? Right? Now, I never said this series was going to be easy. I said it would be life-changing. But we need to see ourselves that way. We need to kind of open up our eyes, look at things from an eternal perspective. But look here first. When I'm in a crisis, where is my responsibility in that crisis? And how can I use that crisis as an opportunity? For us to grow and to become more like Jesus Christ, we need to be honest. There needs to be honesty going throughout this building right now. There needs to be some self-evaluation. We need to look at our own hearts and address the things in our lives that are a little bit uncomfortable. We need to look at those things that make us uncomfortable. We need to look at issues in our lives that make us a little bit unhappy. I don't really want to deal with those things, Lord. I just want to kind of brush them under the carpet. I don't want to look at them. But we need to look at things that make us uncomfortable, that make us unhappy. And we need to come to grips with the fact that God is more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. God is more concerned about you growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ than he is if you're happy all the time. Happiness are based on circumstances. We can make ourselves happy by deluding in our own minds or avoiding difficult situations. But God is saying, I'm more concerned about your holiness than you are your happiness. Because if you conform to the image of Jesus Christ, when you go through a crisis, you will learn something from it. You will grow in your relationship with me. And you may not face the same crisis again because maybe, just maybe, you're the reason, part of the reason, you you are creating some of the crisis and bringing it into your own life. And you need to take responsibility for how you are creating that crisis in your own life. We need to have the courage, my friends. We need to have the courage because in order for us to grow, in order for Christians to grow, in order for people to grow, it will take take all the courage that we can muster. And and we need to have the courage to look truly, to look honestly at our own lives and see and honestly see the choices and realize that there is something in my life that I am doing that is causing me to bring on crisis or challenge or difficulty or problems in my own life. Then I need to put that thing to death. I need to put that thing to death in my own life, my own personal life. Romans chapter 8 basically says this. 
It says to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Put to death the misdeeds of the body. What I'm saying to you this morning is that you need to go to war against your sinful nature. If there's something in your personality, if there's something, an issue in your life, if there's some character issue in your life, it doesn't mean you're a horrible, terrible person. All I'm saying is the Bible says when you find those things, go to war against them. Go to war against them. Pull out your sword, look internally, and do a little operation. Because if you just say to yourself, oh, it's just the way I am. I love when people say that. They go through and they, they, they come to Christmas, they ruin Christmas, they ruin Thanksgiving, they ruin all the family gatherings. And everybody says, they, one of two things are said. The person says, that's just the way God made me. And everybody else says, that's just the way they are. That's horrible. If, 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 you're going, if you can see something in your own life, do a little surgery. Go to battle with it. The Bible says, kill it. Kill it. Put it to death. Do away with it. Go after it. Beat it until it's gone, okay? Till it's over, till it's dead, till it's gone. That's what we need to do. That's what the Bible calls us to do. So we don't have to keep reliving the same difficulties over and over and over again. When you start thinking, when you start thinking this way, when you start talking this way, something begins to happen. Fear. If I'm laying this all out and you're starting to think, man, yeah, they're... Gosh, he's, 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 it's true. It's really true. I have some things that my wife, my husband, my kids, my co-workers, my friends, my whatever family have told me for years. And these are some things that I need to work on. You start thinking that way, all of a sudden the enemy starts talking to you. All of a sudden you hear those, 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 those quiet voices in your mind. They start talking to you. And they start saying things like, whoa, 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 back up a little bit here. Back up. Let's not get carried away. It, you know, inside this church building, it's fine. You know, yay, pastor's saying some neat things, but let's, let's, let's get honest. If we start dealing with that, you're going to have all kinds of problems. You know why? This is what it'll whisper in your mind, because you're not strong enough to handle it. You'll be rolled up in a ball somewhere if you start dealing with that. You're not strong enough to handle it. You don't, you're not brave enough to take that on. Listen, uh, the giants in your life, and we're not talking about giant men here. We all know that. But the, the voice will start saying, you know, that giant in your life and in your life and in your life, that giant that in your life and yours and yours and yours, that giant that you have to deal with, you know what it is. Maybe no one else even knows what it is, but you know what it is. It's too big. It's too big. The Christianity stuff's real nice. It's neat. It's really nice. But this is just too big. He's not talking about you. Yes, I am. I'm talking about you. God is talking about you. It's not too big. That's what the voice will say. And the voice will say to you, the giants are too big. And you know what you are? You are a grasshopper. You're a grasshopper. You are a grasshopper. Grasshoppers don't take on giants. Grasshoppers fly away, flee away, hide in their jars. They don't take on giants. That's what you are. You're a grasshopper. You stay right where you are. And let me tell you something. When those voices come, when those voices come into your mind, you remember, courage is fear bathed in prayer. Write that down in your head. Write it down in a piece of paper. I don't care where you write it down. Courage is fear bathed in prayer. That's what it is. Courage is fear bathed in prayer. If those voices start coming, you feel a little fearful. You know what I love to do? You know what, you know what allowed me, honestly? This is the truth. I was terrified to get up and speak in front of people. I mean, if any of you think you were afraid of pub, public speaking, I have you beat by miles. It, I was so afraid of public speaking, reading out loud in front of people or anything else, I would literally go almost blind with fear. It wasn't just, oh, I'm, that makes me nervous. It was terror. 
You know, you know what? You know, I became a Christian. Something happened to me. I was very fearful before that. Oh, don't try this and don't try that and don't step out in this and don't try that. You know what happened when I became a Christian? The Holy Spirit got in my life and, 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 and started working on me. And one of the things I decided was that if anything frightens me, I say yes to it immediately. So if you asked me to do something when I was younger and all of a sudden I got sick to my stomach, I started feeling, like, I said yes immediately. I said yes. As soon as you asked me to do something and it made me afraid, I said yes to it because that forced me to do it. It forced me to do it. You know why? Because I am not going to let fear dictate my destiny. I'm not going to let what happened to me, whatever, or a fear determine the direction of my life. The Holy Spirit determines the direction of my life. I choose the direction of my life. I will not let fear determine the direction of my life. So if you're afraid of something, the moment someone asks you to do it, don't think. The moment you feel it, say yes, and then do it. And do it over and over, and then you become a raving, crazy person like me up on stage, jumping around, doing all kinds of crazy things, not afraid of it anymore. How does that happen? You don't allow these voices to tell you, you're a grasshopper. You're not strong enough. Those giants are going to crush you. And then something else comes in your mind when you start to think this way, when you start to try to take the lid off your jar. Some other voices come in. They say, keep that wall up. Keep that jar lid on. Keep that wall up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Stay in denial. Stay in denial. Because when you start thinking those things, it, you know what, my friends? It's, it, he, he, here's the reality. I mean, this, is, this is what they start talking. It's someone else's fault. When you start thinking through and trying to working through, hey, hey, it's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. Those people that tell you, your mom and your dad, your wife, your husband, your, your kids, your friends, your, your, your extended family, all the people you see in cars all around you who told you that this thing was wrong, they're all wrong. No, really, they're all wrong. You're right. They're all wrong. They're, you're, you're, this is ridiculous. How can the whole world think that when you know they're wrong? That's what that voice will tell you. You're wrong. It's someone else's problem. It's someone else's issue. It's not your fault. That line of thinking, my friends, will keep you trapped right where you are. It will keep you in bondage right where you are. You need to gain an eternal perspective. You need to have perspective and begin to look honestly at your own life. Now, stop thinking, stop thinking right now that you hope that they're listening. Boy, I hope they're listening. Mm-mm. I hope that person sitting next to me, I hope the person sitting in front of me, I hope the person sitting across me over there, I hope they're listening to what pastor is saying. No, stop thinking that because it isn't about them. It's about you. It's about me. When I wrote this, it is about me. I need to look at myself. It's about me. It's about you. Don't worry if someone else is listening. Just be concerned at the fact that you're listening and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and allow the Holy Spirit to change your life. It takes no courage and no discipline to blame someone else for your problems and your difficulties. It takes no courage and takes no discipline to blame other people for what you're going through in your life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm going to say this once again because some people are just guilt. Some people just love to put the guilt on themselves. There are some circumstances in your life that are not your fault, like the Florida incident. I was just st- sitting there. I didn't, I didn't go drive down in some place where there were a lot of accidents and gunfire. And so, oh, look, I got caught up in accidents and gunfire. Well, sure, it happens every day. I didn't do that. These, some of the things that happen in our lives are not our fault. You didn't bring them on yourself. It is not you. It is not you. you. You didn't cause them to happen in your life. Listen, though, but you can still use them as an opportunity for growth. 
you can still use them as an opportunity for growth. I want you to, now, eternal perspective, okay? Eternal perspective. When you hear the word crisis, you're no longer going to think, oh, no, the world's coming to an end, okay? You're not going to think that anymore. I'm brainwashing you. Watch my hand, okay? I'm gonna, you're going to think differently now. When you see crisis, you're going to think of two things, two things. You're going to think of responsibility and opportunity. Isn't that exciting? Isn't it? You're sitting there. You're not excited. Listen to me. From now on, when you, when you get a crisis, when you face a crisis in your life, how much more excited can I get? Okay, coming down to you. When you face a crisis in your life, okay, when you face a crisis, you're going to think of two things. You're going to think of responsibility, and you're going to think of opportunity. So you should all be sitting here, and here's what you should be thinking in your minds right now. I cannot wait for the next crisis in my life. Did I spit on you? I'm really sorry. I cannot wait for the next crisis in my life. That's what you should be thinking. Are you thinking that? No, listen to you people. Yeah, I think so. You should be thinking, thank you, Pastor, for sharing this wisdom because I cannot wait for the next crisis in my life because when I think of this crisis, I'm going to think, I'm going to take personal responsibility. Someone say amen. amen. Yeah, and see, and when you face the next crisis, you're going to think, opportunity. Yeah, amen. Opportunity and responsibility. This is great stuff, isn't it? I mean, you're thinking, think about this. Yeah, you can talk back to me. Let's, let's pretend we're in church. I need a fan. Come on, brother. Ha! Yeah! Come on! You know, and you guys can speak back a little bit. Some people talk, sometimes sit there and say, man, I wanted to get up and say amen. I say, why didn't you? Well, I don't know if anybody else is going to do it. Okay? So for the next two or three minutes and we end this service, if you want to sit up and say something, you go ahead. Don't, I'm still talking. You just say one word type of stuff. All right. So when you see this now, it's different. You've got a different mindset, okay? Eternal perspective. No longer a temporal perspective. Eternal perspective. I hear crisis. I see responsibility. I see opportunity. It's going to be a change. It's amazing. My life's going to be transformed. You see, here's the reality. I want us to be able to face the challenges of life in the crisis of life with, with, uh, with, with a head-on kind of attitude, the Caleb and Joshua head-on attitude. I don't want people walking through life in this church with their head down. They go through a crisis and they're just beat up. They are just torn. That's all they think. I want you to go into this kind of stuff head-on with your head held high and really strong. And if someone beats you down, then God will help you get back. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, okay? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I have the resurrection power living in me. That's what we have. That's who we are. We are joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We are saints, And God is going to use us to overcome. It's time, my friends, it's time that you and I looked up and realized that there is no lid on our jar. It's time that you all, I wish I could look in every single person's eyes and say, it is time that you realize there is no lid on your jar. As a matter of fact, there is no jar. There is no jar. There's no limitations. Whatever happened to you in your life, God can use it. Whatever you're going through, God can use it. Is it difficult? Is it hard? Is it agonizing? Does it make you suffer sometimes? It does. But you know what? Responsibility and opportunity, and you can have an eternal perspective. You can watch your life be transformed, not only during the good times, but during the most difficult times. 
That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about. The power, the power of brokenness. Think about Jesus Christ, if you would. The power of brokenness. Learning to succeed with scars. We can take every single thing that happens in our lives and we can succeed with scars. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here together. We ask, dear God, as we spend this time with you, that you would work in our lives, that you would move in our lives, that you would allow us to own what we've been talking about this morning. Father, we know that tragedy comes into our lives, that crisis comes into our lives, that we have nothing to do with. It's not our, it's, it's not our fault. But God, you can take that crisis and turn it into an opportunity for us to grow and become more like you. You can bring things out in our lives that we never thought possible through a crisis. And so, Father, as difficult as it is, we pray the next time we face a crisis, we'll have a different mindset. We won't shrink back with fear. We won't be like the ten. We won't live like the ten. We'll live like the two. God, as we sing this song, as we close out this service and we sing this song, I pray, dear God, that we would stand and we would sing and we would clap and we would sing at the top of our voices in defiance of what holds us back and rejoice in what you have given to us through the death and resurrection and blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.